Is love eternal? Can two spirits forever be entwined as one long after their bodies have turned to dust or to rotting, squishy zombies? I'm Diane Ladley, America's ghost storyteller, and this is episode seven of my podcast, Hysteri. It's history of love beyond the grave. For those of you who are in love right now, Valentine's Day calls to mind stories of haunting romance, tragic heartbreak, burning passion, and a love so powerful it transcends death itself. For those of you who are single, Valentine's Day calls to mind stories of mad obsession, dark lust, murderous jealousy, and lovers doomed to weep eternally. So either way, we all enjoy Valentine's Day happy with our current marital status. On this Valentine's Day, I'd like to tell you a story of two young lovers who lived and loved all too briefly 100 years ago, yet who still haunt my memory. This is the true ghost story of the tragic love between a rodeo cowboy and Tinkerbell. Yes, I said true story and Tinkerbell in the same sentence. Trust me, keep listening. It'll all make sense. Donna Haddad was a volunteer for the Morton Arboretum Tree Museum in Lyle, Illinois. She was working on a grant to catalog the tree species in the nearby Naperville Cemetery. Her favorite place of that cemetery to explore was the southeast section, where the oldest, grandest, and most ornate tombstones can be found. She spotted Otto Klein's grave right off. Not only was it located on a prominent knoll, but something about it seemed to call out, Hey, look at me! It's a wonderful grave marker seemingly sculpted to delight the little cowboy and cowgirl in us all. Standing a proud four feet tall, it's carved like a rugged granite boulder. A sculpted Stetson cowboy hat with a classic Montana crease jauntily rests on the rocky point of one corner, a stone lariat rope looped around the other. An elaborate western-style boot and spur are etched at the foot. It looks for all the world as if some cowboy from the old west had made camp there for the night during a cattle drive, and had just stepped away for a moment to attend to his faithful horse. Sculpted flowers, horseshoes, and other cowboy paraphernalia cover the ornate stone. The name Otto Klein is carved in bas-relief on a polished tablet encircled by a lasso. No inscriptions, no dates, just the enigmatic name. Donna wondered why some cowboy got a larger, more ostentatious tombstone than even some of Naperville's town fathers. Despite its prominence, she had no idea who this guy was. He must have been an important person in his day, but the town of Naperville hadn't named anything after him. No Otto Klein Elementary School, no Otto Klein Memorial Park, not even a Klein Street. It was strange, but only an idle curiosity whenever she passed it by. Donna had only worked at the cemetery project for two weeks when it happened. On that particular fine day, she was walking through the old section, conscientiously picking up wind-blown trash while she worked, and thinking of nothing in particular. She bent over to pick up a candy wrapper by Otto Klein's grave, and to do so, casually rested her bare hand on the stone, and suddenly, vivid images exploded in her head, whirling in a burst of colors and shapes. The vision encompassed her world, flooded her senses, all sights and sounds of reality gone. 
in her vision, Donna saw a dusty, iron-shod horse's hoof coming straight down on her face in terrifying slow motion. She could smell sawdust, hear thousands of people screaming, and behind it all, a sense of a strong, vital male presence and a rush of myriad emotions, anguish, pain, and the sense of, How did this happen? Why me? Why now? Donna fell back, reeling, and the vision stopped the instant her hand left the tombstone. But the image and the man's overwhelming grief still resonated in her like a gong. Donna had never in her entire life experienced anything like this before, never shown any psychic ability. But there is no doubt in her mind that this Otto Klein, whoever he was, had been trying to communicate with her. And now Donna knew she had to find out who Otto Klein was and unearth the mystery behind this enigmatic ornamented gravestone. Now you have to understand, this was in the days before Google. There were no easy answers at her fingertips, no Siri to ask. In one mind-blowing moment, her idle curiosity turned into a decades-long obsession. But her supernaturally inspired investigation led her deep into a fascinating story of an extraordinary man and the equally extraordinary woman whom he loved even beyond death. Otto Kreinbrink was born in Germany in 1887, but his parents immigrated to America when he was five years old. They settled in Naperville, Illinois, west of Chicago, and built a home at the ominous address of 666 West Jefferson Avenue. Folks say Otto did indeed have a bit of the devil in him, a daredevil sense of reckless fun that he fully indulged by breaking in wild horses during the monthly horse fairs that Naperville was famous for. He would amaze onlookers with his breathtaking acrobatics on horseback, quickly developing a reputation as a master horseman. That wild teenager could do stunts on the back of a galloping horse that most people couldn't do sitting on a rocking chair. One day somebody told him, Boy, you could make a name for yourself. Why don't you compete in the rodeos out west with your fancy trick riding? Or even join a circus? Otto liked that idea. So, with his parents' blessing and the good wishes of all his friends, Otto moved out west to seek his fame and fortune. He was 16 years old. On January 31, 1905, another young teenager was beginning a new adventure. Helen Deutsch, a beautiful, dark-haired Jewish girl, arrived in New York Ellis Island from Hungary, now modern-day Croatia. She was just 14 years old and had grown to her full height of four feet, ten inches tall. She had come to America as a member of a Hungarian dance troupe, but soon after decided to stay in the land of opportunity. She found lodging in a respectable boarding house and school for young women. They tried to train her in the domestic sciences, that is, cooking, cleaning, and being a good servant. But Helen's love of dancing and the spotlight lured her into the slightly more lucrative, though much less respectable world, of the burlesque stage. Let's go, boys. Here's the little lady we've all been waiting for. As a burlesque dancer and sideshow Hoochie Coochie Girl, she traveled the vaudeville and circus circuits from the urban amusement parks to the dance halls and saloons of the Wild West. 
dressed only in beaded fringe. Lots of beads. She shimmied, shook, high kicked, and did the splits, considered quite naughty at the time. Yet for all the sexual implications and titillating costumes, she never flashed any bare skin. That was against the law. A bare midriff would get you hauled away to prison. Dark hair, dark eyes, and a foreign accent often allowed immigrants to use ethnic camouflage in theatrical performances to make them more appealing and marketable. So Helen Deutsch was billed as an exotic oriental dancer from the Far East, or a lovely Native American Indian princess. By capitalizing on the mystique of these ethnicities and cultures, she was more accepted by her mostly male audiences than if they knew she was just another Hungarian Jewish immigrant who were looked down upon as inferior. As the new century dawned in America, so did a growing anti-German, anti-Jew hostility. Many immigrants, longing for full American acceptance and to start a new life in the new world, changed their names. Helen Deutsch was no exception. She chose what she thought was a glamorous name, Tina Helen Duchet. But it backfired. In every vaudeville troupe she joined, as soon as they heard the name Duchet, they immediately laughed and called her Douchebag. <laughs> the more she'd protest, the more they used it, and the funnier it became to them. She learned to ignore them, until she'd join another vaudeville troupe, and the cycle would start all over again. Douchebag. <laughs> And instead of Tina, her friends called her Tiny for her pocket-sized 4-foot, 10-inch height. So Helen Deutsch was gone, and Tiny Duchet was born. The melody you hear now, La Paloma, was one she performed to in later years as an aerialist on the rings and high wire. In 1913, Tina was traveling with the Oklahoma Ranch Wild West Show. As only a sideshow dancer working alongside the freak show and mind readers, she rarely got to see the featured Wild West acts over at the arena, but as often as she could, she'd slip away to enjoy the spectacle. One afternoon, she was enthralled by a tall, sinewy young cowboy performing an act called The Pony Express. With a leather mailbag on his shoulder, he burst into the arena, riding like the wind. Halfway across, he suddenly leapt off his horse, flying through space, landing perfectly in the saddle of another horse that was already in full gallop. He did it again and again, four times without pause. Tiny was breathless with excitement at his athletic grace and speed. It was only then she heard the announcer call out the name Otto Klein. Yes, Otto Kreinbrink, too, had changed his name to protect himself from the anti-German resentment. Since he had left Naperville, young Otto and his prized yellow trick-riding horse, Buck, had won the title of world champion trick and fancy rider three years in a row at the Olympics of rodeo riding, the Calgary Stampede competition, successfully competing against the finest, most sensational horsemen, rough riders, Cossacks, and cowboys in the world. Boyishly handsome, he amazed audiences with his daring, death-defying horsemanship 
as he toured North America, South America, and Europe as a star attraction in Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show and Barnum and Bailey's Circus. He was prominently featured on billboards across the nation, including on Times Square, and was good friends with the great Annie Oakley, Frank Butler, and Chief Sitting Bull. But for now, he had signed a temporary contract with the Oklahoma Ranch Show, getting himself ready to compete in the rodeo circuit to reap more trophies and glory and win him even higher billing back with the circus in New York City. Tiny described her first sight of Otto's trick riding on the back of a galloping horse. He came charging in so fast it took my breath away and started whirling round and round in the saddle using no stirrups around the horse's neck, under the mount's belly, climbing back from the opposite side. Sitting now on the horse's rump, he let himself slide down the tail, and, without losing momentum, as his feet touched the ground in the rear, he made a flying leap forward, landing in the saddle. Then up he went into a shoulder stand, followed by the vaults for which he was so famous. Thrilled to my fingertips, I said, I'm going to meet this champion. Tiny was hopelessly smitten and begged to be introduced to him. She was terrified that she'd say something stupid or that he'd look down on her for being a sideshow burlesque dancer. But Otto took one look at this petite, dark-haired, exotic beauty with the brilliant big smile, and their souls connected in that moment. They fell head over heels in love at first sight. Talking was so easy, so natural between them. They both shared that same reckless daredevil spirit that was their passion and art. Tiny knew it was true love when, during a heavy downpour that nearly washed the sideshow away, Otto rushed to find her. He brought her a pair of his dry boots and, spreading his rain slicker over them both, led her to a safe place out of the flood. As she later wrote, I loved rain ever since. Otto was away for six long weeks during the rodeo competitions, but when he got back to Tiny, he had an engagement ring in his pocket. They spent every moment they could together, but they both knew it would be a long, difficult engagement. They each had previous contracts and commitments with different performing companies that kept them apart, but for brief, deliriously happy days they could snatch when their troops were in nearby cities. They wrote each other constantly. Two years later, they married on March 17, 1915. They had a romantic honeymoon of just one unforgettable day in New York City before the proud new Mrs. Tiny Klein had to go on the road with her troupe while Otto's employer, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, stayed to perform at Madison Square Garden. For the newlyweds, the separation seemed even harder than the engagement, but they wrote each other every day. Their letters were filled with love, tenderness, and their hopes and dreams for the future together. On April 20th, 1915, Otto received a special letter from Tiny. She was leaving the road tour and coming to New York City. They could finally have a real honeymoon. They could finally begin the rest of their lives together. Otto was so overjoyed that his fellow circus riders had to duck his head in a bucket of water just to settle him down. The very next day, exactly five weeks after their wedding, Otto was performing in a matinee in front of an audience of 5,000 people at Madison Square Garden. He was doing the vault, his most dangerous stunt, 
Otto would hang on to the pommel and leap off the side of his horse, let his feet lightly tap the ground, then swing his body clear over the horse and tap the ground on the other side. He'd do this nonstop all around the arena while in full gallop on his beloved horse, Buck, never once touching the seat of the saddle. He had done this trick thousands of times before, but something went terribly wrong on this day. Perhaps his mind was on Tiny, dreaming of when she'd step off the train and into his arms. Perhaps his hand that he had badly gashed open on a loose tack the day before during his wild whooping and hollering was hurting enough to distract him. Whatever the reason, as Otto vaulted, he slipped and fell, and Buck's flying hoof came down on his head, crushing his skull before a horrified audience of 5,000 screaming people. Though he was whisked into surgery, he never regained consciousness. The tragedy was emblazoned on the front page of every major newspaper in New York. Otto Klein was only 28 years old. To Otto, that final second of his life must have stretched like eternity as he watched that horse's hoof coming down toward his face, feeling the anguish of knowing all his bright plans for a long, full future with his darling bride, Tiny, the life that had scarcely begun, was now over. The last sight that Otto ever saw was the horse's hoof coming down for a lethal blow to his head, his last thoughts to cry out in his mind, How did this happen? Why me? Why now? Exactly like the astonishing vision Donna Haddad experienced while touching Otto's grave nearly 80 years later. Tiny got the news immediately after her final performance with the troupe. She refused to believe it and was in shock until the moment she laid eyes on her lover's body. Then she shattered. Half of her soul was gone. Devastated, the widow Tiny brought his body back to his hometown and together with his family buried him in Naperville Cemetery. Shortly after, the editors of Billboard, the trade publication for all performers, even to this day, suggested starting a fund to erect a monument. The idea caught on like wildfire, in a spontaneous outpouring of love from over 500 of Otto's grieving friends and associates in the worlds of the circus and stage, including such illustrious names as Will Rogers, Fred Stone, and Buffalo Bill Cody. They raised funds to commission the elaborate headstone that stands in Naperville Cemetery. The long list of contributors' names were published weekly in Billboard, and a poem appeared in the October 2nd, 1915 edition. Otto Klein, In Memoriam, by Paul Case A brave boy from our midst has gone, his place can ne'er be filled. His soul is boldly marching on, although his voice is still. Nor more he'll rubes and guise amaze, nor hardships ranges ride. He's climbed the pass in deepening haze, and crossed the great divide. A daring cowboy to the last, whose heart beat ever true. A champion, adroit and fast, trick rider through and through. 
as countless thousands off acclaim to watch his daring ride. How many know his graves unnamed? He crossed the great divide. Let's see his grave is marked, boys, and keep it trim and green. For grief is often salved with joys and sore hearts turned serene by duty. So let's write his name on granite deep and wide, and thus preserve one cowboy's fame who's crossed the great divide. A small plaque for Otto Kreinbrink stands a few feet away, marking the actual resting place of the greatest champion rodeo and circus trick rider in history. His record of three world championships has never yet been matched. Sadly, less than a century later, this eloquent stone only told a riddle about a dearly loved, world-famous star whose name was diminished in time, but whose vibrant, electrifying spirit has lingered behind for some reason and chose to speak to a museum volunteer when she casually placed her hand on this magnificent stone. Why? Donna Haddad went back to Otto's grave after her research was finished. She placed her hand on the sculpted stone cowboy hat, there were no more visions, and spoke aloud to the lonely cowboy. She told him all about his beloved wife, Tiny, her life after him, how she never remarried after losing her wild rodeo cowboy lover and kept the name Tiny Klein. How, after his death, his circus family at Barnum & Bailey took her in as one of their own and gave her a job as an aerialist on the high wire. Dada told Otto how his precious, fearless Tiny created a new aerial stunt, the terrifying slide-for-life iron jaw act. High in the air, the line would break away under her feet, and as the audience gasped in terror, she'd grab a strap with her mouth and soar gracefully down to the ground, her jaw taking the full weight of her body. She willingly endured the extreme agony of the first four weeks of practice. But once her body adjusted to it, it won her fame and fortune. She got top billing as the world's most sensational aerial daredevil. And what a hit she was in 1932 New York as thousands watched her soar a length of 1,134 feet across Times Square. 500 feet up in the air, hanging on the wire only by her teeth in a never-to-be-equal display of her famous iron jaw routine. Though the New York police weren't thrilled. They briefly arrested her, which no doubt made Otto's ghost howl with laughter. Donna told Otto how Tiny never lost that reckless daredevil spirit that he loved so much in her. Not even when she was 70 years old and performed six nights a week as the first ever Tinkerbell at Disneyland. Flying down a cable from the tip of Matterhorn Mountain, soaring 784 feet to Sleeping Beauty's castle during the grand finale, her sequined fairy costume and wings dazzling in the spotlight amid bursting fireworks and cheering crowds of thousands below. Donna then told Otto that Tiny was on his side of the Great Divide now, having passed away July 5th, 
1964, of cancer at age 73. And all he had to do to be reunited with her at last was to go into the light. One final curious note to end Donna's tale. Just as she finished with a quiet prayer for this rambunctious Naperville boy's soul, a magnificent hawk soared down from the trees, swooped over Otto's gravestone with mere inches to spare, then flew away over the woods and into the western sky beyond. Donna likes to think it was Otto sending her his heartfelt thanks. We can only hope that Otto took Donna's advice and went into the light. But sadly, that doesn't seem to be the case. Many inexplicable events have been reported at Otto's tomb in recent times, including strange mists, spectral orbs of light, and a shadowy man seen walking slowly among the tombstones, who seems to vanish when approached. Perhaps the eeriest event happened during one of my ghost tours in the Naperville Cemetery. We were standing by Otto's grave, and I was telling his story to the audience. My hand was on Otto's gravestone when a motion behind me caught my eye. I briefly looked back and glimpsed a shadowy figure of a man, not twenty feet away, slowly walking, his head down. I noticed that he wasn't carrying one of the EMF ghost meters that are passed out to every single guest. Something about him disturbed me, and it threw me off my storytelling for a moment. After the tour, I asked my assistant ghost host to please make sure that no guests walk around on their own through the cemetery, like that guy who was behind me. She looked puzzled and said no one had walked behind me. Everybody had been huddled in a group listening to the story. She remembered the moment I had glanced behind me and stumbled over my words, but couldn't see what it was that had caused me to lose my train of thought. I was a little freaked. So I asked several of the tour guests if they had seen the shadowy figure walking behind me. No one had, even though they had been looking in that direction. No one but me. On that same tour, one of my trainee ghost hosts had been standing behind the group, taking notes. Just as I was getting to the part about the hawk swooping down, the trainee heard a man's voice say, Tiny, I love you. The voice spoke softly, yet very clearly, directly behind her left shoulder. The trainee glanced around behind her, thinking that eh, maybe one of the male tourists was getting a bit too much into the story. But there was no one standing behind her. No one was standing anywhere near her. does Otto haunt his gravestone? Perhaps he's waiting for his darling Tiny to be buried at his side near that delightfully unique tombstone? But Tiny is buried in California, so he'll wait for her in vain. If you ever pay a visit to Otto Klein's grave in Naperville Cemetery outside of Chicago, go ahead and rest your hand on the sculpted stone cowboy hat, a replica of his own black velvet Stetson with the classic Montana crease and whisper to him that Tiny's not here. But if he'd just walk into the light up there above him, 
he'll find his dear Tiny at long last. Just walk into the spotlight one more time, Otto, because that's where Tiny is waiting. You know she's in the spotlight, star that she is. There, in the light, Otto, you could step into Tiny's loving arms as a heavenly audience of thousands cheer and spend the rest of eternity together at long last. For more on the beautiful, tragic romance of Tiny and Otto Klein, and on the fascinating behind-the-scenes world of entertainment during the the turn-of-the-century Victorian age, I highly recommend the book Circus Queen and Tinkerbell, The Memoir of Tiny Klein by Janet Davis. Special thanks to Donna Haddad for sharing her amazing experience with me years ago. History is written, researched, and produced by me, Diane Ladley, America's ghost storyteller. I hope you'll take this moment while your podcast app is still open to rate this episode and subscribe to automatically get new episodes about once a month. The March episode won't be anywhere near as sweet and dulcet as this one. After Japan's world-ending earthquake and tsunami in 2011, a second wave, even more terrible than the first, washed over the land. A tsunami of ghostly encounters experienced by hundreds of people. Their stories are disturbing and terrifying, so the next episode will not be for the faint of heart. I'll be upfront with you. Creating this podcast does cost money. There are costs for hosting and building the website, music and sound effects fees, marketing. It's all out of my pocket. I do it for love for haunted history and storytelling, but tips are very welcome. Are you interested in helping to support future episodes of Hysteri? If yes, please visit the Hysteri donations page at patreon.com, the crowdfunding site for creatives. Tips start as low as $1 for each new monthly episode. And as a thank you, tippers receive special rewards based on their level of support. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. Thank you in advance. And thank you for listening to Hysteri. It's history of love beyond the grave.